holding him in her arms for the first time, she remembers. Staring into his starry eyes, she swore the heavens were looking back at her, full of light. She placed her hand gently on his chest to feel his heartbeat, and the rhythm brought her peace. She touched the soul of his feet. He giggled. His toothless grin told her he knew who his mother was, and usually she doesn't let anyone play with her hair, but this time was different. This child of hers, he, he was truly different, the type of different that would eventually break her heart. But right now, it was too full of joy. Right now, he was safe in her arms. She remembers that moment, a moment before guards and horses and swords and cries, orders from a throne that had lost its mind, men wiser from the east, gifts for a king, shepherds and their sheep, visions, dreams, angels sing, Isaiah prophecies. She remembers that moment and how silent the night was. Tear falls a little tighter. She closes both of her eyes and begins to hum Miriam's hymn of victory, reminding her one day there will be no enemies to threaten this peace for her child. She knows they are coming. Mother's intuition. She also knows there was nothing she can do to stop him from taking on them all like so many before, but none like him. His wisdom, his stature, his spirit, every peculiar moment noted, whether temple politics or wedding wine, exorcism, sight to blind, water, walkings, damsel rise, legend climbs and sodas peril, insurrection threats hurl for love, one would save, but none like him, her son. Taking on her son, taking on the world. And as that moment grew closer, his message even bolder. Praise, it passes over. She doesn't know if he can carry it. She's scared for him. On a night so quiet, so silent, she prays this memory lasts forever. One of comfort. One of love, uncertainty soothed with hugs, embracement of tears, joy besides fear, faith above all, together is everything, whatever tomorrow calls, it, it shall. But the heavens in his eyes assures he will prevail. So she remembers the very night she held salvation. For the first time, she remembers and has been holding on ever since. Shalom. Let's thank him again. Pierre, that was outstanding. I do not feel like opening my mouth right now. You make normal words feel so boring. That was so powerful. So powerful. Uh, Jesus takes on the world, right? And he prevails. He takes on the world and he prevails.
Man, praise God. Uh, my name's Greg. I'm an ordinary speaker here. <laughs> i tell you what, though you make me look really bad, you, anytime you got a word to share like that, we'll have it, because that, 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 was, that was just so powerful. So just say Merry Christmas and go home. <laughs> it's like... Uh, uh, okay, so my name's Greg. I'm, I'm the ordinary speaker here. And... Uh, uh, we've been in the series, When God Shows Up, we're calling it, and uh, we first talked about who the God is who shows up, and we've talked to Shane Claiborne, talked about how God shows up, the radical way he shows up, and then last week we talked about when God shows up, and this morning I want to talk about why. Why did God become a human being and was born to Virgin Mary, this little child? Why? What was the purpose for the whole thing? And uh, as that spoken word just conveyed... Um, the reason for, for, for his coming is, and I'll give you a little warning here if you're visiting for the first time or have never heard this perspective on Christmas, uh, the reason is a lot more edgy than what our culture generally recognizes, a lot. Uh, he takes on the world. Um, and uh, so this isn't going to be, if you came for a warm fuzzy, this probably isn't going to be it. Because uh, I want to really dig into the, the, the edginess of, and the radicalness and the beautifulness uh, of, of, of uh, the reason why Jesus came to earth. Uh, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, but do we know that reason? That's the, that's the question. Uh, I, I want to start with taking a look at a verse that you could easily overlook um, in, the, in Luke's infancy narrative. Um, but it's, it's, it's important. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. In those days, the days when Jesus was born, a decree went out from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And all the world should be registered because Augustus wants your taxes. And they devised a new way to keep people from falling through the cracks and not getting taxed. So they had to go to their birthplace to be registered. In all the world, the decree went out. And the question is this. Uh, why does Luke say that in all the world the decree went out? Because it didn't go out to all the world, did it? I mean, the indigenous people of, in America at the time didn't get that decree, and the people down, the Aborigines in, in Australia didn't get that decree, and the folks in South Africa didn't get that decree, or the folks who were living up in what's now the Soviet Union, they didn't get that decree. Why does Luke say the whole world got this decree? And the answer to that is, is, is this, that... Rome at the time, the Roman Empire at the time when Jesus was born was so vast and so powerful. And in the eyes of the aristocracy and many of the citizens, it was so superior to everything outside of Rome that they just identified Rome as the world. To say the world is to say Rome, to say Rome is to say the world. It's like no one else even registered on their, their scales. This is national exceptionalism on steroids. They just had this superiority complex. So it went out into all the world which means it went out through all of Rome. And to really understand the, the edginess of, of, of the reason why God came into this world, you need to know a little bit about that world that's called the Roman Empire. So we're going to have a little history lesson here on, uh, on Rome. Are you ready for a little history lesson on Rome? Okay, even if you're not, I'm going to give it. So here it is. So we'll go back to 49 BC. Uh, Rome had up to this point been a republic, not an empire. It was a republic. It had various branches of government. And the emperor um, 
which they, they, they didn't vote him into office. He was a hereditary thing. But there, there was checks and balances on how much power the emperor had. He had a senate he had to deal with and things, things like that. But in 49 BC, uh, 49 BC, Julius Caesar decided he was done putting up with the senate and other branches of government. It slowed things down. And so he, he just declared himself to be the sole ruler of Rome. And he had, he had been a military general, and so he had friends in the army, and so the army, was back, for, the, for the most part, was backing him up. Now, the Senate didn't like this at all, and uh, it resulted in a civil war breaking out. Uh, and throughout the Roman Empire, there was a civil war. Some, Julius Caesar was a populist uh, leader, and a lot of the folks loved him, so they were on his side, but a lot of the folks thought this is terrible because it's going to end uh, the checks and balances and uh, lead to just totalitarianism, so they were on the other side. So this Fighting broke out throughout all, the whole Roman Empire, and it was a slaughter fest. It was just brutal. In 44 BC, uh, Julius Caesar gets assassinated by some of the senators. And at that point, he has a, uh, his nephew, who he had put in his will to, uh, to be his, his legal son, he inherits the throne. It was a guy named Octavius. And um, there's warring factions that go on for another decade or so. But finally, uh, Octavius is able to kill off all of his rivals, and then he consolidates all the power of government under himself. He, he, he gets what Julius Caesar was, was, looking, was, was trying to get. And so in 27 BC, this happens, where he consolidates all the power, and that's when the, the Roman Republic becomes a Roman Empire. Really, it, it means the emperor's Rome. It's run by the emperor. Now, at that point, he was given the name Augustus. That's the one we read about in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Augustus, Augustus Caesar. And he was given that name because the name means worthy of worship. It had a lasting impact. I mean, August is named after Augustus. You know that? And July is named after Julius Caesar. We still got this pagan stuff going on here. Um, but he, he, he's, he's the one who's worthy of worship. And here's where things begin to get interesting. Um, because they, Augustus and those who were helping him run this Roman Empire, this vast Roman Empire, they, uh, they, 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 they never wanted to see that civil war happen again. That was absolutely brutal. And they saw that this thing could divide, could fall apart. And so they had to find a way of uniting this whole vast Roman Empire. I mean, it, it was vast. It surrounded the whole Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it included, uh, do we have a map of this? It included Asia, uh, parts of Asia, uh, large parts of Europe, um, uh, North Africa, and even over in the Middle East, where, where Jesus was born. It was just a vast empire. And so the question, how do you keep this united? And they knew that nothing unites the people like a common religion. And so they, on top of the, this traditional Roman uh, pantheon and religion that they had, they came up with a new belief uh, and that they were going to install in all the people. And it was centered on worshiping the emperor as a god. That's why they gave him the name of Caesar Augustus. And every emperor after that, Rome was united around the worship of the emperor. And so he, uh, because Augustus had delivered Rome from its chaos, its conflict, its warring factions, uh, they, they, they proclaimed him to be the, the, the Lord and Savior of the world. World meaning Rome. And uh, he, was, he was called the bringer of peace, the peacemaker. Uh, this is the famous Pax Romana. It was like the major slogan of uh, Rome. Pax Romana, it's Latin for the peace of Rome. It's kind of ironic in that, um, yeah, they, 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 they kept warring factions from fighting each other, 
But they did it through terror, as I shared last week. They, 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 they reigned by terror. If anyone messed with them, they'd send their troops into that town and round up whatever relatives of the insurrectionists they could find and crucify them and leave them on the hill for a couple days uh, just to say, if you mess with us, this is what happens to you. So it was a peace that was purchased at the price of terror. They kept citizens terrorized, afraid of them. But uh, he was hailed as the bringer of peace. He was called the son of God. And uh, it was said that of his kingdom, there will be no end. Some of these words may sound familiar to some of us. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And this was enforced by tons of propaganda. So all around the Roman Empire, strategic places, they had statues that were erected to the divine emperor, the Lord and Savior, Son of God, bringer of peace. Um, and they had shrines and altars. And when people, when the citizens would pass these shrines or altars or statues, they had to pay homage to, uh, to Caesar Augustus and to all subsequent emperors. And it, it, it took different forms in different parts of the Roman Empire, but they'd have to do something like just like bow down before it, some kind of a gesture, or sometimes they would light incense or bring some kind of a gift or something. And there were guards all over the place to make sure that people did this. And if you didn't pay homage to Caesar, it was considered a treasonous act and punishable by death. Right? So propaganda all over the place. Uh, they minted coins that had the image of Caesar Augustus on it with some of those titles on it, Lord and Savior of the world, bringer of peace. And on the other side of the coin, they would have a traditional god or goddess uh, of Rome just to always be brainwashing the people, reminding the people that when you think of the emperor, he's up there with the gods. He's one of the gods, and he is worthy of worship. Uh, they would, uh, when they opened the, their games in the Colosseums throughout the Roman Empire, they had the gladiator fights and whatever, they would always open and close those games with some kind of praise of uh, Caesar Augustus or whatever, uh, whatever emperor was in place at the time. And they had festivals that they had regularly, uh, just like basically worship services to Caesar Augustus. We're going to honor our, our, our emperor this day, and they have a, a festival. And they throw out gifts to people, food and stuff like that, just to keep uh, people in, in being fond of this, this Lord and Savior. But uh, you couldn't go anywhere or do anything in the Roman Empire with having that, without, without having that propaganda put in your face. Never forget who the one Lord and Savior of the world is. Never forget who the Son of God is, who the, the one who saves us. Never forget who brought us peace. And, and, and in fact, when, when the emperor would have a son, or accomplish anything noteworthy, win a battle or something, uh, they would spread news throughout the Roman Empire. They had a good communications department, and they would send this news throughout the Roman Empire, and they would call that euangelion, which is the word that's translated as gospel. Good news. It's good news. Our Lord and Savior has won a battle, and so they have a festival over it. Our Lord and Savior has, has given birth to a son, and they have a festival over it. But it's called the good news, the very term that's used in the New Testament uh, of Jesus Christ. The good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was the gospel of Augustus Caesar. Um, okay, so, so I, I was that that's the background against which you have to understand uh, the New Testament. This empire-wide worship of the emperor, the Lord and Savior, bringer of peace. So in light of that, I want to now read two passages from, the, from Luke's infancy uh, uh, narrative. Um, and you'll see why it's significant. So the first one is, is when the angel shows up to Mary. I talked about this last week. Here's how it reads. The angel said to her, Gabriel, 
I said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Yahweh saves is what it means. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the power of the Most High, or the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. So of Jesus, as I said, he's the Son of God and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now in the context of the Roman Empire, those are treasonous things to be saying. What you got to know about Augustus and all subsequent Roman emperors is that they demanded total allegiance, and they would tolerate no rivals. To call anyone else son of God, Lord, Savior, uh, is, is an act of treason. There's only one, and that's our emperor. So these are, these are politically loaded terms that this angel is using of Jesus. The second uh, passage I want to look at is when the angel shows up to these shepherds who are in the field. And the angel, angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. People are always freaking out when angels show up. What's the big deal? You think that the glory of the Lord would be a good thing, but they're like, ah! But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find this child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. To call Jesus Lord, to call Jesus Savior, to call Jesus Son of God, to say that he is the bearer of good news and to say that he is the one who brings peace. Um, in the context of the Roman Empire, those are fighting words. Those are dangerous words. Those are politically explosive words. You're committing treason by, by, by confessing this. In fact, because the, the Rome kept peace by installing terror in its citizens, they, in some parts of the Roman Empire would say that, that the, the, the Pax Romana is on those whom Augustus favors, or whoever was emperor, those whom the emperor favors. And he favors all those who go, who live according to his mandates. But if you mess up with him, he doesn't favor you, so you get killed. And so to say that this brings peace on all those whom God favors, um, and God, by the way, favors everybody, uh, that is, that's treasonous. That's treasonous. Now, if, if, if we understand the politically, the politically loaded treasonous meaning of these, these terms and these descriptions that are applied to Jesus, I think it revolutionizes our understanding of why Jesus came to earth. What was he doing? What was he doing? And see, these angels weren't trying to mess, they, they weren't trying to pick a fight with, with Caesar Augustus. I don't think they give a rip about Caesar Augustus. And they certainly weren't trying to get the, the, these folks killed, these folks who they're convincing to believe these things. That, that, that's not their goal. They're just speaking the truth. Because the truth is that Jesus is the Son of God, the one and only Son of God. The truth is he's the one and only Lord. He, the truth is he's the one and only Savior. He's the one and only peace bringer. He's the only one who is the bearer of really good news. That, 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 they're just saying it because it's true. But to speak the amen, amen. 
But to speak the truth about Jesus in the context of this Roman Empire, that's subversive. That's that subversive. It's politically loaded. And, and, and when, we, when we get that, we understand, come to understand the subversive reason why Jesus showed up. Why did Jesus come to this earth? See, a lot of people would say it was to reveal God's love for us. And that's absolutely true. Yes and amen. The life and ministry and especially the death of Jesus show, they, they reveal a God of perfect, unfathomable, unsurpassable, other-oriented, humble, enemy-loving love. And that's absolutely true. But these subversive titles and descriptions that are given to Jesus in the context of this Roman Empire suggest that there's something else going on. Some people would say that Jesus came because he wants a personal relationship. God wants a personal relationship with us. And that's absolutely true and important. Um, in fact, in the New Testament, the personal relationship, because God loves everybody, he wants a personal, life-transforming relationship with everybody. And that, in the New Testament, is the very meaning of salvation. Salvation isn't the result of the relationship. It is the relationship. John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that people know you, Father, uh, through Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's, that's, the, that, 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 that's the meaning of salvation. So that's important. It's true. But see, the Christian faith isn't a personal me and Jesus thing. Uh, the fact that these politically loaded, subversive titles and descriptions are applied to Jesus suggests that there's something else going on. A lot of folks would say that Jesus came to give us you know, an example of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to treat one another. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And important, because it's so, especially because it's so neglected today. But... Uh, um, uh, I mean, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you pattern your life on the other-oriented, humble, generous, self-sacrificial character of Jesus that he exemplified throughout his life and especially in his death. That's absolutely important, foundational. But the fact that these subversive titles and descriptions are applied to Jesus in the context of the Roman Empire suggests that there's something even more going on. And finally, a lot of folks would say, and they say it rightly, that Jesus came to forgive us our sins so we don't have to go to hell. And that's true. Absolutely true. In fact, Jesus came not just to forgive us our sins, but to free us from our sin, because the sin is, is, is what leads us on the self-destructive road that the Bible calls hell. It's absolutely true. But the subversive titles and descriptions that are given to Jesus suggest that there's something else going on, something more than that. What they suggest by calling Jesus Son of God and Lord and Savior of the world and bringer of peace and bearer of good news, what th those titles suggest is that Jesus came to do nothing less, as we heard about with the spoken word, word than to take on the world. He came to, to establish a kingdom, uh, an alternate kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, an odd-looking kingdom, a new world order that will ultimately transform the entire planet. Uh, he, came to, he calls this the kingdom of God. This movement, this radical revolutionary movement, is subversive movement is called the kingdom of God. And it's, it's subversive because Jesus wins the total allegiance of all the citizens of this kingdom, which delegitimizes and subverts their allegiance to every other kingdom and every other authority. And it's a beautiful kingdom because the citizens of this kingdom are in the process of being transformed into the likeness of their king. <laughs> Learning how to love the way he loves and to look at others the way he looks at others and to treat others the way he treats others. And, 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 and it, so it contrasts with all the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world all operate by having power over people to impose your will on others. But this kingdom operates with a power under people. It's a power of humble, self-sacrificial love. 
It's revolutionary, it's subversive, but not revolutionary in the way that worldly revolutions happen, because those are always violent. Uh, the citizens of this kingdom swear off all violence and are rather committed to just loving people. It's a beautiful kingdom, yeah. contrasts with everything that's out there. It's an alternative kingdom because it offers people an alternative king to live under and an alternative way of life. Uh, not living life according to the status quo, but a life that's patterned after the example of Jesus. It offers people who are tired of this old broken world and its broken systems a different way of living and a different kind of hope and a different kind of faith, a different kind of love because they're living under a different kind of king and being transformed into his beautiful image. And it's a liberating kingdom. It's a liberating kingdom because unlike all the kingdoms of this world, uh, this kingdom doesn't put anyone in bondage. It doesn't impose sentences on anybody. Um, it forgives. And, and this kingdom sets people free. Hallelujah. It sets people free. It sets people free. It's a liberating kingdom. It's a, it sets you free from your self-centeredness. And, and it, as you live under the reign of this king, King Jesus, um, it sets you free from your self-destructive sin. It sets you free from the wounds that have scarred you and heals you. And it sets you free from your attitudes of hatred and attitudes of racism and attitudes of greed and your false ways of getting life. It sets you free from your false identities. Hallelujah. It sets you free from the false hierarchies that you're living under. It sets you free from your judgments. Praise God. It sets the captives free. It breaks every chain. Hallelujah. It liberates people. It doesn't bind people up. It liberates people. It's a beautiful kingdom, a liberating kingdom, a revolutionary kingdom, a subversive kingdom. And it's the one true kingdom. It's the one true kingdom that exposes all the others as being false. See, to, say, to say Jesus is the Son of God in the context of the Roman Empire, and to say that he's the Lord and Savior, what you're saying and saying that is Augustus ain't, which means he's a fraud. This is why the early Christians got killed. He's a fake. He's not, not for real. To say that Jesus is the bringer of peace and he's the bearer of good news is to say that Augustus isn't the good news. And he's not the bringer of peace. He's a fraud. It's a radical kingdom. This is the one true kingdom. Because the truth is, folks, it was never got part of God's original design for humans to be ruling over other humans. Not in a tyrannical kind of way. It, it, it's, it's, it's normal to be part of God's design that parents would rule over their children when they're young and stuff. Because that's an extension of love. But the idea of being forced to live a certain way because someone above you tells you to, it was not part of God's design. Um, in, in Genesis 1, human beings are given the mandate to ex extend their loving lordship over the earth and over the animal kingdom, but they're not told to ever extend lordship over anyone else, over one another. Uh, and in God's original design, there weren't supposed to be any hierarchies of power and privilege. Our whole world is structured on hierarchies of power and privilege, but that was not part of God's design. Uh, if we only find hierarchies coming into existence with the fall. In Genesis 3, you'll read this, where men start subjugating their wives and exercising power over their wives. That's the beginning of hierarchies right there. And later on, it evolves into cities and then governments and all the rest. But that wasn't part of God's original design. That's why Israel, uh, in the, the earliest years of Israel, uh, God didn't want them to have a king. He never wanted them to have a king because he wanted to display to the world something of his true uh, design for humanity. That human beings are supposed to be under the lordship of God and no others. Okay, and so, and when Israel insisted on having a king, you read about this in 1 Samuel 8, when they insisted we want a king because they were finding it too hard to trust an invisible king, we want a king that can lead us into war and defend us and find, we can have security in that. When they insisted on that, God says to his prophet, they've rejected me. 
In other words, to trust in a human king, a human ruler of any sort, is to not be trusting in God. And to trust God, well, then you are not, aren't trusting in any human ruler. And so this kingdom that Jesus brings, this is the first true kingdom. Unlike the kingdom of, of Augustus or Julius Caesar or the kingdom of Vladimir Putin or the kingdom of Donald Trump or the kingdom of anybody who's ruling over other people, unlike all of those, and unlike all the versions of that that we've had throughout history, this kingdom is, is, is headed up by, ruled by the one true king. Hallelujah. And, and, and he's the one true savior. He's the one true Lord. He's the one true son of, God, son of God. He's the one true bringer of peace. And he is the one true good news. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all found in him. Hallelujah. And that's why this is the one kingdom that will never, ever end. Never end. Uh, you know, all the kingdoms of this world, without exception, and you may have noticed this. They become corrupt. There's, there's, there's always corruption. Because the sad truth of fallen human nature is that power corrupts. It, it, it corrupts. You can find exceptions. Every once in a while, a person who's got tremendous power and is not corrupt, you can find exceptions. But there are the exceptions, which is why sooner or later, all the kingdoms of this world, every variety of them, and there's a lot of different varieties, but, but they, they, they become corrupt and they begin to erode. Rome, Rome was done in because of corruption. It, it, it self-imploded, and it became weak, and that's why others could finally come in and take, take over the whole thing. It wasn't a kingdom that lasted forever. It had a good run. It lasted 500 years, which is twice as long as America's gone so far, but uh, it, it, it comes to an end. All the kingdoms of this world become corrupt uh, and self-implode, but the, this king and this kingdom are utterly, utterly, utterly incorruptible. <laughs> He, he, he will be holy, it says. Uh, he, is, he reflects God's character. He is holy and he's uncorruptible. Hallelujah. And which is why this kingdom will, not, will never self-implode on itself. Uh, and, and all the versions of the kingdom of this world, they get in power through violence and they maintain their power through violence without exception. And so they're ultimately overcome by violence. History is, if anything, history is a broken record of that. Violence gets you in, but violence eventually gets you out. There's not one exception to that. Sooner or later, it's overcome. It's, 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 it's built in the nature of violence that it, 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 self, it, it defeats itself. It replicates itself. Violence begets violence. As one author said, violence begets violence and really nothing more. It's, it's, it's all about that. Including America. This was founded on horrendous, horrendous violence and injustice. And there'll come a day, if the Lord doesn't return, where it's going to be overcome by violence. And uh, um, it's just the, the broken record of history. But see, the kingdom of God, this kingdom, this true kingdom, this beautiful, alternative, liberating kingdom that Jesus brought in this world, this new world order, it wasn't founded on violence. In fact, it, was not, it wasn't founded by violently overthrowing your enemies. It was founded by Jesus dying for his enemies out of love for his enemies, which is why it will never be overturned through violence. It, it's... it's it's the one kingdom on this planet that's rooted in the character and the will of God. And, and that, that character is a self-sacrificial love. And while that looks weak to the world, it looks weak and foolish to the world. Paul says that the cross looks foolish and weak to the, the, to the natural mind. But to the citizens of the kingdom of God, and this is everything right here, folks, this is what we've got to trust. We've got to stake our life on this. Uh, that the, to the, the cross actually, as weak and foolish as it looks to the natural mind, it is the power and the wisdom of God Almighty, and it will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> Hallelujah! This other-oriented, humble, servant-like kingdom 
It, can, it, it will never be threatened. It can't be destroyed. It can't be overcome. It's indestructible, incorruptible, and it will last as long as God himself lasts because it's founded on the character of God. And God, in case you didn't know, lasts forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. 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 And subversive, this kingdom subversive, because, you see, uh, when people are, are transformed into the image of this king, and they're ruled by self-sacrificial love and by peace. The Bible says, let peace rule your heart. That's a good thing to have rule you. I want to be in bondage to peace. I want to be in bondage to self-sacrificial love. I want to be in bondage uh, to the character of Jesus. That's, a, that, that, that's the right kind of rule. But when people are governed by that, the citizens of this kingdom, you don't need some ruler to be telling you what to do or some law to be enforcing what to do. You don't need the threats and all the ways that the kingdoms of this world have for keeping people in compliance. You don't need those things because you're ruled by love, praise God. And so it subverts and delegitimizes all the rest. It exposes all the rest as being outside of God's will. And yeah, they have a temporary role to play in this fallen world, but if the world wasn't fallen, we wouldn't need any of those things. And so they'll eventually fade away and they'll, they've been rendered obsolete already by the unique kingdom that Jesus birthed into this world. And uh, our job is to be manifesting that, living that out, putting that on display. And when you do that, it subverts everything. Ultimately, just to become a Christian means you sign up for a revolution. You, you, you signed up for a subversive movement. You signed up for something that is undercutting everything this world stands for, all the hierarchies of this world, all the power brokers of this world, all the would-be rulers of this world. It subverts everything. And offers people a completely different way of doing things, a completely different way of living, a completely different way of looking at things. So folks, you see, if your hope is in anything else, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, the only thing that lasts is this kingdom. Amen. Your hope is in America. You'll sooner, sooner or later be disappointed. Maybe you're disappointed already. It will let you down. If your hope is in... Uh, the good news of Donald Trump, you're going to eventually be let down, or any president, you're going to be eventually let down. Uh, it will disappoint, but whatever, if, you're, if your hope is in our form of government, and it's a, it's a, in this fallen world, it's, I think, the smartest form of government there is, because it's based on the intuition that people are corrupt. So we have all these checks and balances. Thank God for those checks and balances, all right? It, it, that's great, but, but if your hope is in that form of government, or any kind of government, you're going to eventually be let down. If your hope is in the, the, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party or the Socialist Party or the Communist Party or any party you want to have, you're going to eventually be let down. Or if your hope is in anything else, if your hope is in your good looks or your great talent or your great mind, you know, or, or, or your cool company, your great idea, or if your hope is in the stock market, you're going to eventually be let down. In fact, I can guarantee you if your hope is in the stock market, it's already let down because that thing is taking faster than gravity. Good night. But that just proves the point. See, all those things, all those things, every one of them without exception, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And they can look so good and so shiny and so secure in the moment, but they eventually get corrupt, they eventually fall apart, they eventually will let you down. The only exception to that, and it's the only exception to that, is the one who is the true Son of God, true Lord, true Savior, true King of Kings, true Lord of Lords, true Emperor of all Emperors and President of all Presidents. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the only hope. I'm so glad so we can sing joy to the world because the joy is anchored in the one thing that is not transitory. It, 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 doesn't, it didn't have to get voted into office and it can't ever get voted out of office, praise God. This world, it's, I don't know how you feel about it, but it seems to me it's, just, it's so obvious that it's all sinking sand. It's all quicksand. And man, if, if, I, if I didn't believe in Jesus, I'd be so discouraged and cynical. <laughs> 
you look up, it's, it's chaos. It's chaos. And it was chaos in Rome, even when they had the Pax Romana. They just suppressed it all with, with terror. But to know the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns forever and ever and ever, and to have that as your one secure hope, uh, oh, that, that gives joy to the heart. See, that is the good news because it brings peace to your heart. Whatever's going on around you, the world's falling apart, fine. You're falling apart, fine. Your health is falling apart, fine. Your mind is going, fine. You, 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 the what you have your hope in, he's not like your mind. He's not like your family. He's not like your nation. He's not like this world. He doesn't fall apart. He's the one, in the world of sinking sand, there's only one secure, unsinkable, unshakable plot of ground to stand on, and that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Hallelujah. Joy to the world. Amen. But, but, here's the edgy part. Here's the edgy part. Um, you know, Jesus and, and Augustus have nothing in common except one thing. I mean, the reign of Jesus is the antithesis of the reign of Augustus and every other ruler in the kingdoms of this world. But they have one thing in common, and that is that Jesus, as much as Augustus, demands total allegiance and will, have, will not tolerate any rivalries. Uh, there is uh, only one Lord and only one King and only one Savior and one bringer of good news and one uh, bringer of peace. And that's Jesus Christ, and he demands our all. Um, this is the most challenging aspect of the kingdom, so it's not surprising, I guess, that it's been the aspect of the kingdom that the church has done the worst at adhering to. In the fourth century on, what we see in church history, for the most part, is divided allegiances. Jesus and this. Yes, I'm aligned with Jesus, but also this. And what it does is it just fuses all the kingdom of the world hierarchy, power broker stuff with the kingdom of God, which means that you no longer are displaying the character of, of, of the self-sacrificial, other-oriented God, uh, which is what the kingdom is all about. It, it no longer is an alternative to all the kingdoms of the world. It becomes a version of all the kingdoms of the world. And that's catastrophic, because keeping this kingdom holy, keeping it separate, keeping it distinct, is all important. It only displays the unique beauty of its king when it's set apart from all the other things. When the people of God take great care to, to, to disentangle themselves from all other loyalties and all other identities and are singularly devoted to, 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 to Jesus. Um, this is why Jesus said that you can't have two masters. You can't do it. You can think you can, but to have two masters means you don't have either of them as master. <laughs> to be master in Jesus' term is to have one. One. You have to choose between the two. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to die to your old self. If you lose your life, you'll find it. But that means you've got to lose that old self of yours with all of its old allegiances and all of its old identities. You've got to lose it. And it's only then that you begin to discover the true joy and the true peace and the true fullness of life that comes from being singularly devoted to Jesus Christ and having your hopes singularly placed in Jesus Christ. It only kicks in to the degree that you're absolutely devoted and you've, you've disentangled yourself from all, uh, from all others. That's why the New Testament says... Um, that whatever country you're in, you're to consider yourself strangers and aliens. You don't really belong. Yeah, legally you're a citizen, but, but, but you know that your real citizenship is in the kingdom of God, and therefore it's not really here. And, and uh, Paul says that, that we're to consider ourselves to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. He says you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven and ambassadors. Whatever country you're in, you're there as a representative of a different country. And that different country is called the kingdom of God. 
Now, an ambassador doesn't get their identity from the land that they were sent to. They don't identify themselves as belonging to that land. They identify themselves with the land that they were sent from and with the king who sent them, or the president who sent them, the Lord who sent them. So also, yeah, we're here, but we're here as ambassadors. We're on, we're on a mission. And um, our identity is not to be found in this particular country. It's to be found in the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, who is the sole ruler and savior uh, in that kingdom. Uh, so it's like this. You know, I'm an American, and I, I, I'm happy being American. I, I, I feel very fortunate to be born in America, and it, it affords me more freedoms than, than many other countries. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. But see, if, if, I, if, I, if, my, if my allegiance is to Jesus Christ, I can't have a distinct allegiance to this country. Um, no, in fact, see, I, I totally get why, why, why normal, normal Americans would say America first. America first. Because that's what everyone in every country does. Uh, they want their country to be first because that's what benefits them. And unless you're being redeemed, you operate out of a me first attitude. I, I, me first, therefore my country first. My everything first. And that's just standard fare for the fallen world. But see, if you're in the kingdom, that means you die to that old identity. You die to that me first attitude. And, and, and Jesus tells us to seek first. Here's what the first should be for us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means right relatedness. Seek that first. Make that the highest priority of your life. And to be in this kingdom then, this kingdom it is all encompassing, folks. It encompasses everybody. And if you're in this kingdom, it means you're learning how to love uh, people the way God loves people and to look at people the way God looks at people. And God doesn't evaluate people based on what nation they're in. Right? He doesn't privilege one over the other. He, he just loves people. And so also to be in the kingdom is to just love people as people and to view people as people. And to not be giving significance to what nation you're in. In the world, folks, there's all these categories, all these divisions, all these files that we put people in. And how we view them is based on the file that, they, that, that, that we put them in. So what nation you're from becomes very, very important. And what, what, what race, for a lot of people, what race you are is very, very important. They'll love you more or less depending on that. And how they view themselves, how they view others can be based on what religion you're a part of or, 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 or what style you have, have or, or what gender you are, what orientation that you've got or, or, or how much money you make. There's all these ways of filing people. But see, to be in the kingdom of God, to learn how to love like God loves, uh, this upside-down kingdom, this revolutionary, liberating, beautiful kingdom that we're a part of, it means that all those files and divisions are gone. Uh, it, 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 we're, there's one new humanity, Paul says, Ephesians 2, one new humanity, the citizens of this kingdom, and all the walls and divisions and categories and hierarchies and ranking systems and files that people have, that so much significance in, that, that uh, determine how they look at people, how they judge people, how they assess people, all those are to be destroyed and abolished. Jesus was born to introduce this new kingdom where all those things are rendered null and void. They don't make a bit of difference. The only thing that matters, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that you know that person, whoever they are, whatever nationality, race, or whatever they are, they are in the image of God. They're created by God in the image of God. And Jesus thought they were worth dying for, which means that they have unsurpassable worth. So every, the color of the skin, the style of their hair, all those files, whatever they could be, are utterly, utterly, utterly irrelevant. We just love the way God loves. You love people because they're people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Categories of able-bodied, disabled, able-minded, not neurotypical, not neurotypical, whatever the categories are. Our job as kingdom people 
is to subvert all that. It's the subversive kingdom because it subverts and liberates us from all those judgments. <laughs> it's, it liberates us to love freely. It liberates us to walk in the image of Jesus Christ, praise God. It liberates us to see the beauty of people as people. <laughs> all those other judgments just cloud up all of that. It's all part of the fallen world, part of the fallen system. Our job, and when you, when you, when you surrender your life to Christ, if you understand what you're doing, if we understand the subversive nature of this, when you sign up for the kingdom, you are signing up for a revolution. You're signing, up, you're signing up for an alternate kingdom that subverts everything that's wrong in this world. And to belong to this kingdom means you're participating with God in that subversion. And yeah, it doesn't look like it's doing much, largely because the church has been so bad at holding to the singular allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. And so it doesn't look like it's doing much. But you know what? It didn't look like Jesus was doing much on, on, on Good Friday when he was crucified, did it? It's only in the resurrection that you say, wow, this changes everything. This changes the world. This changes the world. And folks, this is the one thing that will change the world. Uh, all the laws in the world can't fix a broken heart, a wounded soul. And as long as souls are left wounded, uh, they're not going to fix the world. That's why the, they offer no hope, no permanent hope for this world. Uh, broken people, when they try to fix the world, just further break the world. You may fix one thing, but you break another in the process of fixing it. The only thing that has the hope that will fix the world, that will transform everything, and this is the promise that we hang our life on, is Jesus Christ and his revolutionary, beautiful, liberating kingdom. The one true kingdom. One thing that's going here. So here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you the question, are you tired enough of this broken system? Have you, are you sick and tired of that? Have you given up hope on that? I hope you have. I hope you're feeling utterly hopeless. If you're looking at the world accurately, without Jesus, you should be feeling hopeless. It's total despair, but I'm wondering if you want to join a revolution. Uh, want to join the one thing that is actually going to make a difference, a permanent difference, an eternal difference on this planet? It doesn't look like it now, uh, but one life at a time, it made a difference to this guy, it made a difference to you. It, one at a time, it's happening, and it will eventually win. I encourage you to consider that, and if, if that's on your heart, to at least look further into it, come up here after the service. There'll be some people at the, at the front of the stairs here, back here. And they'd love to explain to you what it is to start, what it is to join this revolution, this subversive movement. Hallelujah. And then for the rest of us who have already surrendered our life to Christ, I want to ask this question. Uh, and in doing this, I'm just inviting you, as I often say here, my job of preaching is to invite you in on my misery because this convicts the daylights out of me. I, I'm amazed at how easy it is to lapse. It's really easy to start, start taking on other loyalties and start taking on other identities where the fact that you're American instead of North Korean begins to mean something to you. You know, it, you begin to invest that with significance. And it just happens without you noticing it. So I thought this Christmas is a good time to call us back to our first love, our first love. Uh, are your loyalties singularly in Jesus Christ? Is your identity singularly in Jesus Christ? Is your hope singularly in Jesus Christ? And ask the Holy Spirit to really reveal that to you. Because we don't notice when we start to compromise in this stuff. A good indication might be this. If you find that your mood goes up or down based on the news you're watching, that could be an indication. In fact, it is an indication that to some degree, you got loyalties over there and you got your identity over there and you got a little bit of hope over there. And as long as that's the case, you're gonna, your moods will be going up and down based on what you, what's on the news. To be anchored in Jesus means the good news or the bad news, whatever comes on television, 
it doesn't affect the core of who you are. You may like it or not like it, but it doesn't affect your, your overall way of being in the world, your perception of things in the world. It doesn't. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you be honest with yourself and ask the question, are, are, are your loyalties singular, your hopes singular, your identity singular in the Lord Jesus? Because he is, folks, the one Lord and Savior, the one true King of all kings, Lord of all lords, President of all presidents. To have him, to have him as king means you have no other as king. And to have the kingdom of God as your citizenship means you really have no other country. That's what it is to be to join up to this revolution. No king but Jesus, no country but the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. There's the slogan. Pin that, pin, take that on your refrigerator this Christmas. Would you stand? Lord, as we leave this place, I pray, God, you help us be honest with ourselves and help us to be accountable to one another. That we would be singularly devoted to you. We would be singularly identified with you. Our hope would be singularly placed in you. Everything else is sinking sand and it just dissipates. Help us to see that, to be aware of that, and to put no trust in that. But thank you, Lord, for bringing joy to the world because you are the one rock-solid foundation we can stand on. We place our life on you, our hope in you, our trust in you, and in nothing else. As we leave this place, help us to live out this kingdom, subvert all that's wrong with ourselves and with the world, and put on display your magnificent, beautiful, self-sacrificial character. In Jesus' name, and all of God's citizens said... God bless you guys. Go out. Love of the world. Merry Christmas.